0: You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource.
1: What is going on with interest rates? Where are we today, and how much worse can it get? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today, Richard Advani, is a real estate investor and mortgage lender based out of SoCal. Richard has been in the mortgage industry for over 16 years and specializes in working with investors for nearly 15 years now. And he's here with us on The Real Wealth Show to tell us what's going on with interest rates today and what we can expect. So Richard, welcome to The Real Wealth Show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to have you back. I am very curious what's happening out there in the rate world. Uh, What are you seeing now for investor loans?
0: Uh, Well, interest rates, as we all know, I mean, some of you know, some of that sticker shock has kind of come down in the last week or two. For those of you that haven't really looked at rates in a while, uh, first thing, they are historical low, as everyone says. But look, meat and potatoes are, they've gone up significantly. I mean, primary homes, end of last year, start of this year, were, as we all know, a lot of us got in the high twos almost. Yeah. And, you know, primary home loans today are near 5% in the last three or four months we've seen obviously rates go up substantially investor loans are currently pushing now in the high 5% for uh conventional loans so you know it's it's make it it has made and continues to make a big difference for um a lot of us in terms of i think really how we're looking at numbers um but you know the good news is if you look at the broad scope of real estate and the positives of it and you know the investment aspect i still think it is one of the better investments available to us consumers right now
1: yeah uh, i mean i agree if if inflation's at eight and a half percent but we're still able to borrow at five or six percent that's good that means you're still making money in my opinion Uh, especially when we we know that over time it's your tenant that pays that that uh mortgage payment down for you. And as exactly. far as first-time buyers, I mean, we saw rents go up 20%, some some areas 30%. So being locked into a fixed rate to me gives an enormous amount of financial security.
0: Agreed. And one thing I'd like to kind of touch on, uh, you know, a lot of the conversations that we're all having with clients these days are really, you know, I heard feds are going to raise their, the feds are going to raise the rates and they're going to continue to raise the rates and oh my god you know what mortgage rates have already gone up so much where is that kind of going to leave us and you know the first thing I want to touch base on is if if everyone watching isn't aware mortgage rates really aren't based on the fed rate now the fed rate the prime rate um, obviously has its effect on everything a little bit but mortgage rates are based on the 10-year treasury bond and if you out there have a smartphone and you go to your stock section and type in TNX you'll pull up a graph of that, that 10-year treasury bond and you'll see that treasury bond started off the year in the you know 1.2 1.3 range and today it's closing close to 3% so you know kind of take some of the mystery away from consumers of of you know if you call someone like myself today and a week later you know what kind of drives the rates and the differences generally if you see that treasury bond move up it means you know mortgage rates are probably moving up with it and vice versa
1: yeah it's, it it is really important for people to understand that because we do constantly hear that rates are going up and usually that means the the federal reserve overnight lending rate the the fed fund rate and people do get confused although they also, tend to go hand in hand, right? If the Fed is raising rates for banks, banks then are going to lend to someone like me. It's going to go up. They tend to want a three percent spread, right, from what they borrow it to what they lend it for. Exactly. Yeah, um, and then with the ten-year Treasury, you know what what what's driving it up? Can you speak to that?
0: Uh, that's yeah, that's a tough one, especially because there's so many. Uh, factors internally within the U.S. as well as geopolitical outside of the U.S. factors. Um, you know, obviously with uh, the Ukraine uh, crisis right now, interest rates that that has had a negative effect on the overall bond market and interest rates, and and kind of pushed them higher. Um, you know, the the I'd say the general consensus, at least for you know what I've been paying attention to, is. Hopefully, a lot of the increase we're going to see in rates uh, for the remainder of the year are here. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to move up, but you know they've doubled almost already. They've gone up a couple percent, two percent, let's call it. Are they going to go up another two percent? My opinion—I'm not an economist—but my opinion is I think that's unlikely. You know, there definitely is room for them to move up another quarter to three eighths of a percent, um, which you know for investors, as we discussed, means we have to kind of look at 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 real estate a little broader and you know we'll get into that obviously what I mean here
1: yeah yeah you know it's funny because people want it all right people want to have low rates but they don't want to see home prices go up so much and they don't want bidding wars but you can't have both if if you have really low rates that's meant to stimulate the economy right? And uh, and it allows more people to buy. And then as more people buy, prices go up and then the, the Fed has to, you know, um, raise rates to slow that down. So here we are in a situation where these higher rates will slow down this frenzy. And that's what our the housing market desperately needs. So let's embrace it. This is a good thing. Higher rates is a good thing. Prices were getting out of control and it's just time to rein it back in.
0: Exactly. And I mean, the interesting thing is, yes, demand has dropped. And as you said, that's that's healthy because of how crazy it was. Now, that doesn't mean homes aren't being sold, though, right? Instead of 50 people waiting in line to buy a house now, there may be 20. But, you know, the the reality of it is, as you know, as well, in the last, next decade, I think nationally, we're on track to build half of the homes that we need. And, you know, regardless of, of rates, regardless of the economy, you know, that supply and demand issue, isn't going to be cured or resolved. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm still in, everyone asks me, you know, the first question they ask me is, are you still buying real estate? And, you know, I've got a couple dozen properties myself and the answer is yes, always. And, you know, if the market changes a little much like, you know, stocks and securities, we dollar cost average, you know, potentially buy a little more, but
1: yeah yeah john schaub is uh, somebody that i've followed and he he wrote a book on uh, building wealth one house at a time and he said just buy one every year uh, oh. regardless if it's if it's up or down it is the dollar cost averaging like you said okay so what has if anything changed in the lending world is it getting harder to get loans or easier
0: or the same? that's a good question well it depends on who you talk to, of course, and, and what they have access to. Um, as you know, I would worked at Wells for almost a decade. Uh, the team and I left January of last year. Um, and, you know, besides things got a little difficult to get done there transactionally for clients, but also a lot of our mutual clients have really graduated above that 10 finance property limit. Um, and we now have access to programs for clients that you know need to go above 10 loans, or you know, maybe they're self-employed and they're just like, you know what, I'm not willing to pay enough taxes to qualify for a loan. Um, you know, we have low documentation programs available. So Overall, I would say the market has soft, has warmed up, rather, to investors with a lot of these non-traditional programs available as well. Fannie Mae also has, you know, they've removed a lot of the restrictions they had over the last decade, in the last two or three years. You know, you can put 15% down on a, on a single family rental property, which, you know, to me is obviously a positive sign. Um, one change that has occurred, I, I think, and some of it may have been... Uh, A little bit of the abuse by us consumers, but uh, about two months ago, Fannie Mae kind of changed your pricing structure on second homes, vacation homes, and um, whereas vacation homes typically were priced similar to a primary home in terms of interest rate. Now what we've seen is Fannie Mae has now priced them closer to rental properties. So there still is a benefit to put less down if you're buying a you know short-term rental or, or a vacation home that you may rent out on the side, but that interest rate benefit has kind of gone away. So I'd say that's the only real negative uh change I've seen. But overall, I think um, you know, it's 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 warmed up a lot to investors, and there are a lot of non-traditional products available out there at our disposal as well.
1: Yeah, I have heard that some of the non-traditional, there's so much money looking for yield that sometimes there's even better rates there. Have you seen that to be true?
0: I'm, there there were for a little while, about 60 days ago, as or 90 days ago as rates started moving up pretty, pretty sharply. We saw a brief period where these non-traditional rates were actually on par with it's not a little lower than Fannie Mae loans that only lasted unfortunately a couple of weeks. Um, you know, the that and having uh conversations with those lenders, the margins that they like to keep are about a percent higher than Fannie Mae. So, you know, they took a little while longer to raise them than Fannie rates, but Fannie Mae rates, but um, they did actually move up as well. Uh, Right now, they're above Fannie Mae loans.
1: Uh, And then conventional loans, it's still limited to 10, Fannie or Freddie?
0: Correct. Yeah. Currently, Fannie Mae is, uh, you know, kind of limited to 10.
1: Okay. And what about the non-conventional?
0: Non-conventional, there really is no limit. Um, you know, they are going to do a little bit of a case-by-case review, but with these non-traditional loans, if you own a primary home and you're putting 20% down, they are no income documentation, right? There's there's no pay stubs, no W-2s, none of that needed. Uh the the lending is really based on the collateral on the property itself. Look, you can't be a deadbeat, right? You have to have a good credit score, you have to have money for the down payment, um, and you have to own a primary home and have an overall good profile. But assuming you do, 20% down and, you know, you can go and buy rentals with no real limitations. And, you know, when, it, when I first heard of it, it kind of, I was kind of wondering, okay, well, what's the security to the lender, to the investor? And as you said, a lot of these are, you know, hedge funds potentially looking obviously for a return. And it really, really made me appreciate how How these hedge funds that, you know, obviously pay a lot of money for research and stuff, how robust they see housing, um, you know, still projected to be into the near future, that they're willing to make these loans with, you know, minimal income documentation for the right client um, with just 20% or 25% security in the property. Um, Their security comes from the fact that, you know, they have that plus, you know, it's it's a cash flowing investment you know, a lot of these hedge funds have single family or multi-unit rentals on their own portfolio. Um, so I, you know, it, to me, once again, it kind of, kind of gave me uh, a little more of confidence, you know, moving forward in terms of the next three to five years.
1: Mm, okay. Are you starting to see more 40 year interest loans versus the 30 year?
0: We are seeing the, the 40 year interest only loans grow in popularity. Um, you know, as, As well, let me rewind a lot. A lot of investors and most investors are kind of chasing this the ROI, right? The the cash flow. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we see that mainly with newer investors because that's how they've been, you know, taught to invest and evaluate properties. And I'm not saying that's wrong. However, anyone that's owned real estate over a decent chunk of time, five years, eight years, 10 years, and, and beyond, really knows that real estate wealth, in my opinion, isn't built overnight. It's not built on the cash flow, you know, your 7% or 8% number, whatever number you have in your head. That's not where you build real estate wealth. Real estate wealth is built over time and it's built through things other than just that front end cash flow. Well, once again, it is important to evaluate a property, but what a lot of us don't take into account is the return on amortization, right? You know, even if you're making in these days, a, a you know, low single digit return cash on cash on a rental property, don't be blind to all the other factors uh, that influence it as a real estate investment. You know, generally, you're going to make a couple percent in principal pay down, you know, or your tenants making that payment for you, and you're paying down your balance. On top of that, and of course, you know, consult your tax professional, but most rental income for us investors is tax-free because you're able to use depreciation to offset that rental income, which, you know, if you look at your tax bracket, your 40 to 50%, well, you know, that adds a percentage to your your ROI as well. So I'm not saying don't look at cash Um, It is important to evaluate a property, but don't let that be your, your all in, you know, of whether you're going to invest in uh, real estate or not, because, you know, once again, you, you do build that wealth um, over time and on the long term. So Back to your question on the 40-year interest only. Yes, it is it is growing in popularity. It allows you to gain that percent or two percent, you know, front-end return if that's that's what you're you're after. Um and one more thing I'd like to say is, you know, I've seen a big shift on that same note, in terms of the type of investors we're dealing with, right? Um, there's a lot of people that have done very well in the last decade in whatever investments they were in, you know, let's call it the stock market, for example. And there's a lot more people out there right now looking at real estate, not for that 7% ROI, but looking at it as, um, you know, kind of a, a vehicle for estate planning and a, a, prote- a asset protection vehicle to where, you know, they're, they're, trying to spend some of their gains or deploy some of their gains from stocks. And they're willing to put 50% down on the same properties you and I are trying to buy. And there's a lot of people like that because in the long term, obviously real estate is proven to be, you know, obviously a great investment. Um, And the last thing I'll kind of say on that note is, you know, and and, in talking to a lot of our mutual clients who are kind of just one dimensionally looking at, you know, my, my, cash on cash return, you know, is I ask them, what, what are you going to do with that cash on cash return? Let's say it's 8%, which is what you're after. That 8% is $320 a month, right? Great return. But what does that $320 do for you? And most of the time it's, yeah, maybe one good dinner, maybe a couple, (laughs) Um, you know, and, and I think that's very powerful to kind of get their mind off of one dimensionally, you know, looking at that, what, and it helps them kind of realize that what they want out of real estate is not, this justice ROI, it's what we all want in the long term, you know, the wealth building aspect of it. The fact that once you own rental real estate for six years, 10 years, you know, the amount of principal pay down dramatically goes up every month, you know, rents go up, it's a good hedge against inflation. So, you know, for me, when people ask me if I'm still investing, you know, yes, I don't know anywhere better to invest, you know, at the moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. We had a fund, a single family fund that we're just closing out this year and we learned a lot from that because we within the fund we bought properties in growth markets like Georgia and Florida and then also in the cash flow markets of the Midwest and we we were trying to balance it out with high cash flow and and not so much growth with low cash flow and high growth. And at the end of the day when we sold all the properties and looked at the full ROI of appreciation plus plus cash flow the growth markets were 6 to 10 times more productive uh, more more uh, income to the fund than just straight cash flow so if it just kind of depends on where you are in life obviously if you're just living off your off your properties and and you you need that cash flow then you're you're going to want to be in higher cash flow markets but you need money You need to have a a certain amount of money. If they're leveraged, you're just, again, like you said, you're not going to make that much, just a few hundred dollars. Whereas over the long term, if you buy good solid properties and growth markets and hold them, you've got your retirement set because by the time you need that cash flow, it'll be there for you.
0: Exactly. And, And to that note, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of people in California and other metros that have had properties for 15, 20 years. You know, I just, I just finally convinced my mom after 30 years to sell our childhood home. Cause it was a three bedroom, two bath, 1200 square foot house that she rented out and made four grand a month. Well, it was worth a million dollars in this market. And, you know, we're able to do a 1031 and, you know, buy one property cash right away, which made her the 400 grand and then buy seven more with that additional 500,000 in proceeds. And, you know, Talk about not only a dramatic increase in cash flow, she tripled her cash flow and to, to good assets, right? You know, good strategic growth markets. Um, not only that, she actually got to a point now where she's more diversified, right? You know, if she had tenants in that one home that that, you know, she 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 prized, which, you know, I understand the security that it gave her over the last decade. But you know, once I was able to open her eyes and see really, hey, you know, it's dangerous to have just this one asset. But, you know, you diversify and increase cash flow. You know, there's so many people like that that are sitting on properties. Once again, they've, they've had for a while or inherited, and they're kind of afraid to venture out into other markets. And, you know, what I tell you is, don't be afraid. Talk to your investment counselor at Real Wealth, and they'll actually map it out with you and show you, hey, if we deployed into this, this, and this, this is what you could do with that same chunk of equity you have, you know, and, and with that 1031. So don't be afraid to explore those options. And, you know, when you're selling a high value property like that, it makes you really powerful in terms of strategy and planning. You know, you could put 35, 40% down on a property and make it work. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Oh no, I, I, I just completely agree. It, having all your eggs in one basket is never a good thing. And so if you have one high priced property with one tenant, uh, you know, that market could go down in value or that tenant could come and, you know, have issues. There's even in a strong economy, uh, individuals have things that happen, divorce, illness, uh, you know, there's things that can happen that might affect your tenant. So if you, if you take that million dollar property and 1031 exchange it into say five, $200,000 properties or whatever it is you choose, now you have diversified maybe into different markets or different neighborhoods within one market. uh, and, And now you've got more tenants that, you know, the chances of all of them running into issues and not being able to pay are pretty low versus having that one tenant. Yeah, it's just, it's a good time to really reevaluate what you want out of your portfolio.
0: Definitely. Agreed. And as you said, uh, that the right answer is going to be different for every person, depending on, you know, where you are in your investing life, where you want to retire and so forth. So, you know, mm-hmm. the planning aspect, there's no right answer for everyone. So, you know, educate yourselves online, but, you know, it's important to actually talk to a physical person. So, you know, you can kind of get a tailored plan to yourself.
1: Yeah. And if you're worried about interest rate, if you're worried about interest rates, talk to somebody who's been a real estate investor for more than a decade. (laughs) Because I can tell you back in the day, my dad was so thrilled when he could refinance into a 9% interest rate. He had been at 12%. And before that, 15%, of course, in the 80s. But, you know, it was... Right around 1997, when I started to get interest, that's when we bought our first property, and it was seven, eight percent, and we thought that was great. That was like the lowest it had been in a long time. So five percent, it's still a really good deal, especially in an inflationary environment. So let's talk about that. We are in one. Inflation's not going away overnight. Uh, why is real estate a good hedge for inflation? And if you look that up, if you look up hedge against inflation and we are in inflation, it's not going away quickly, you'll see people say real estate or stocks. Why, why is that?
0: Uh, I mean, that's an easy one. That's why I'm here today, right? Is It's that 30-year fixed mortgage. Um, a lot of people don't realize that a, a fixed rate mortgage for the duration of the loan doesn't exist really in any other country in the world, right? Because it defies logic. You know, is, you know, if how can you get a rate of five or mid five percent when, you know, the inflation rates eight or nine percent. And, you know, the beauty of that 30 year fixed is no matter what happens, right, the cost of bread will double, the cost of of rice will triple, um, rents will go up as well guess what won't change, you know, your, your principal and interest mortgage payment. And that is the wealth builder in real estate. Um, you know, one of the courses and, and, you know, I'm sure you have to do your, your, um, annual education on your real estate courses and stuff, but, you know, in the real estate, uh, CAR book, they actually have, um, an article that kind of talks about the return over. And I don't remember the exact, 20-year period, but they talked about the return of the stock market versus the real estate market. And real estate market over that 15, 20-year period had gone up 100%. Um, and stocks had gone up 300%. So you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Stocks are way better than real estate, right? Well, wrong. Uh, the difference was that you know, in order to buy a $100,000 house, you only had to put 20,000 down, right? 20% down. The beauty of leverage Uh, really showed in this example, because once they factored in that you were able to take advantage of that 100% growth in the real estate market with, you know, in some cases, 5% down, 10% down, if you're buying a primary home, 20% down, the actual factored out return was like 3000% in real estate versus, um, uh, in stocks. And, you know, that is the beauty of leverage overall, but that's also, you know, the beauty of that 30 year fixed. And, you know, as you're aware too, Kathy, I'm, you know, as far as I've seen in my life, inflation statistics, as much as they can predict, you don't know what it is until the future. And they're saying 8%, 9%, um, you know, it feels higher to a lot of us you know, with the price of everything going up, double to triple that. Um, And, you know, even at 8%, taking it at face value, you know, you're making 2.5% on your money on these 30-year fix uh, right away with the spread between, you know, the rate and inflation. And also, to put it another way, is if you guys are sitting on $200,000 in the bank right now in a checking account, I'm sorry to say, but you lost 8 to 10% this year. This year alone, you lost 20 grand um, or, you know, more just by not deploying those funds into, you know, a good hedge against inflation vehicle, like a 30 year fixed, you know, re- rental real estate mortgage. So, you know, that's powerful. And that's what I meant earlier is people who own real estate over a longer time realize that the way you get wealthy building real estate is, you know, with all these various factors add up over time versus, you know, Hey, I'm going to make a good ROI for a couple years.
1: Very good feedback. Yeah. Well, in an inflationary economy, it's usually better to be the borrower than the lender as the, as the debt sort of, you know, becomes less over time. So I appreciate that you're the lender and we get to be the borrowers. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been great to have you here, Richard. I just want to say good luck on your race you are now an official race car driver is that right
0: yep yep i run in the formula drift series professionally and in may i'll be in orlando so unfortunately i won't make your live event but hopefully i'll get a podium
1: (laughs) (laughs) well maybe we can get out and uh, see you there all right well thanks again for being here on the real wealth show i really appreciate your insight
0: thank you for having me
1: And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com, as I said, and click on the Learn tab and also get access to hundreds of educational webinars that go much more in-depth than we can go here on The Real Wealth Show. So check that out, realwealthshow.com.